Alright everybody, welcome to the June 26th edition of Cascading Views. I've got Dan and Chris with me here this weekend. How are you guys doing? Good. Doing good. We uh, we had a pretty big thing happen the other day. Um, there's going to be some other things to talk about, but I guess we'll we'll just start with this one. There was something on the order of a coup in Russia that almost got to the end and then didn't um i I think we're not gonna know exactly what happened for quite a while um but there was a mutiny i guess the media has taken to calling it among wagner wagner is a private military company these used to be pretty in vogue back in the day when we were in high school Uh, blackwater was a prominent one on the american side uh, Wagner, however, is orders of magnitude larger. Uh, it comprises something like 25,000 soldiers. Uh, they have an international focus. They are present in almost a dozen countries. Um, they are an instrument of Russian state power in many, many ways. Uh, they are also apparently, from what we've seen, better trained, better equipped, and a better fighting force than the actual Russian military, which largely has done the thing that Russia has always done. It's it's a meat grinder. They have more bodies than you, so they just keep throwing bodies at the problem. Wagner does not operate like that. Uh, Wagner has been under some pressure. They've been engaged for almost a year now in a war of words with the Russian Ministry of Defense. Uh... Prigorzorin, I may be pronouncing that wrong, Russian has never been my strong suit. Their leader, he's otherwise known as Putin's chef, because he used to own a catering company <laughs> that was widely used by the Kremlin. He, uh, he has been fighting this war with the Ministry of Defense, uh, asserting that the invasion of Ukraine is badly planned, it's badly executed, that his men aren't getting the munitions that they need. Uh, And it kind of culminated with Putin decreeing that uh, Wagner was going to be integrated into the regular Russian army, that it was going to be wound down and their soldiers given actual military contracts. Uh, This was about two months ago that that was announced. Uh, Prigorzorin was not happy about that at the time. He asserted his men would not be signing any contracts. Uh, And then last week there was a... I guess the way to say it is probably staged uh, missile attack on a Wagner base. This is, by all accounts, not an actual thing that happened from the Russian military. But uh, Wagner used this as an excuse to come out of their barracks and march on Moscow. They first seized Rostov-on-Don, which is a fairly large town in the south of Russia, um, just over the border from Ukraine. It is notably the head of the Southern Command for the Russian military. Uh, from there, they sped north at just an astonishingly breakneck speed for Moscow. Uh, at the end of the day, they reached the uh, first ring road around Moscow, the, the first layer of suburbs, and at that point, they stopped. Um, Belarus announced that they had negotiated a deal to uh, give Prig asylum in Belarus. Uh, Wagner shot down seven 
Russian military aircraft during this time period. The most notable one was a mobile command center. Uh, imagine one of those being shot down. The United States has quite a few of those. They're $100 million planes easily. Uh, it it seemed like a pretty big deal, I think, to me. How do you guys react to that? Yeah, I mean, it kind of had us all glued to <laughs> glued to the news over all of Saturday, at least, and trying to figure out what exactly was going on. And there was just a very thick fog of war, you know, trying to figure out both through the language barrier and I think a lot of information warfare as to what exactly was happening. Uh, it's definitely not good for the regime that all this was happening that, you know, just a major chunk of their mercenaries basically launched an attack on the government. (laughs) And that the attack was able to get to within 100 miles of Moscow. And that the Russian military seemed to have mostly gotten out of its way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They they basically didn't take take Rostov without a fight. Uh, Not only that, but they were greeted with Cheers! Did you guys see the parade Rostov threw when uh, when Wagner was leaving? Yeah. They love bombed him. It was ridiculous. They were coming up and hugging him as they they went out, and yeah. it's it's not like they were cherry picked. Yeah, it was yeah. absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and I'm kind of reminded in reverse of um, you know the Russian supposition that. They were going to be able to take Ukraine easily, and the fact that their convoy going toward the capital was basically immediately bogged down by just regular people ransacking them, um, you know, outside of any military action. Whereas this convoy was shooting straight toward the capital, and nobody cared to stop it. That's actually possibly part of the message that was being sent. Uh, The convoy for Kiev and the fact that the battle for Kiev failed has been one of Wagner's most strident criticisms of the the Russian Ministry of Defense plan for this war and how they botched it. It, uh, by the way, it... I, I was wrong in our group thread there. It does look like Putin does still intend to join Wagner to the Russian military. However, uh, Prig has released a new audio as of today, asserting that not a single one of his fighters has signed that. Yeah, I mean, I think well, it was this bifurcated deal where everyone who participated was going to take a deal similar or they were going to go back to upper, you know, to normal Wagner operations, but the ones that didn't were going to be put into the Russian military or something like that. Yeah. But kind of voluntarily. Seems like. Yeah. So I think the, it would seem to me that they've just been given like, here's how you get out of Ukraine for free. And <laughs> at least to some instructions. So, yeah, I don't know that not not a great uh, not a great example for how to maintain a monopoly of force or sovereignty, uh, at least a demonstration by the Russian government. Just to kind of note how close to the knife edge they were on being the ones with the monopoly on violence, it, it 
appears from all indications that Putin actually fled Moscow. The, the Russian government has not confirmed it. However, Putin's personal plane did take off uh, from Moscow, heading towards St. Petersburg when Wagner crossed uh, Vorosnev. I might be mispronouncing that, but it, it's a city roughly halfway between uh, Rostov and Moscow on the highway there. So not a good look when you're fleeing your own capital. No. Yeah, I mean, Zelensky didn't have to, didn't flee the capital. So, <laughs> think about that. <laughs> Holy shit, that's wild. Oh man, yeah. that's because Ukraine had citizens who wanted to defend their capital. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, Wagner asserts, yeah. by the way, that they did not lose a single soldier during this. There were. Uh, two fatalities on their side, I believe, uh, but they claim that they are uh, Russian army members who defected and joined Wagner. Uh, the other 15 casualties were all actual Russian military forces uh, fighting Wagner, mostly pilots from the, the downed helicopters and planes. Yeah. So, I imagine we're going there shortly in the conversation, but what's... Uh... What's everyone's take on how it so suddenly evaporated? Yeah, there's that's kind of a more complicated question as to what. Yeah, I mean, there was. Hmm. I I think the post you put up about uh, you know the possibility that uh, the government had access to the the mercenaries' families certainly could have moved things along and that's certainly plausible as, as something that could have definitely been an incentive uh, I've also seen you know the reality is that you know if they had taken Moscow there's probably not a lot they could have done with it and if they'd gotten there they probably all would have just gotten killed um, so you know I think it might yeah. have been a real you know, it's going to be an actual fight at that point yeah, it would have been a Pyrrhic victory once they were there. So, I, I've got that would have been a reality too in their negotiations. I got kind of a counterpoint. I think they got what they wanted. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to be something that Putin announces now, just makes them look weak. But I would not be surprised if four months down the road there's a major reshuffle at the Russian Ministry of Defense and Shogu and the other ones are are out the door because they have mismanaged this war in in Ukraine just just absolutely terribly. I mean, regardless of how many arms the West is pumping into Ukraine, this should have never really been a fight to to, to begin with. This should have been over in like 26 hours. Wagner has a point here; they utterly botched the invasion of of Ukraine just completely pissed the floor uh the the fact that the convoy to kiev killed itself i mean you were talking about people you know bogging it down just regular every day it, it didn't even need them they ran out of fucking fuel it was a 40 mile long traffic jam they left their engines running to get heat and didn't have enough to keep driving it was ridiculous it it, it was entirely self-inflicted 
Uh, that should have never happened. And anybody who had any sense of military logistics should have known it was coming. Uh, I, I don't think you can look at the Russian military performance and say that they've lived up to what they should have been able to do. Um, and that's got to be bleedingly obvious to Putin as much as it is to anybody else. So he's not going to be able to reshuffle staff when it looks like Wagner's forcing him to reshuffle staff. But give it a little bit of time. And I bet you you see... Everything that Wagner wanted to have happen happens. And he, except, I guess, but now he's stood down and he's going to be in Belarus where he's completely. I mean, I maybe. Know, like, what kind of assurances does he have? I, if I'm him, I don't stay in Belarus. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd get the hell out. I'd be <laughs> back in Ukraine like tomorrow. They've got forward operating bases there. It's not a place where Putin can really assert political power in any way, shape, or form. They've shown that they can more than handle the Russian military. They basically have a little fiefdom there in eastern Ukraine. If he's at all planning on staying alive, that's probably where he'd want to be. Or better, you know, uh, Wagner bases in Africa or wherever else. Yeah, they're the main defense force in the Central African Republic. Russia can't really do much there. You got Syria. I believe they're involved in a, a couple Asian countries as well. They, they're they involved in conflicts across the globe. It, it's almost ridiculous. And they turned it into a business. I mean, they're not even fighting for money. They're fighting for mineral rights and shit like that. I mean, this is this is 18th century European colonialism on steroids. Yeah. That's definitely his only stay alive mode because of Putin's predilection for killing people in other jurisdictions in creative ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, those people don't run their own army, though. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's not like he's he's hiding in a flat in southern England or something. He's in a military right. base. He's going to be well protected. I actually think he stands a chance coming out of this relatively unscathed. Uh, I don't think he'll be back in Russia anytime soon. If he loses any of the leverage he has, which is he runs Wagner and is surrounded by Wagner. I, I think he's done for, but as long as he's able to stay in Wagner bases, they're, they're pretty committed to him. I mean, what sort of commander is able to launch a fucking coup with his men and, and not be questioned at it, have near as we can tell a hundred percent buy-in. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Take the most rabid right wing Biden hitting battalion in the U S military and try to see if you can get 100% of them to be on board with throwing a coup. I don't think you're going to have that happen. So what do you think this does to Putin? That's, that's a more difficult question. Um, I've got some opinions. I don't know how grounded in reality they are. I'm not a Russian expert. I'm a dude who was, what, seven when the soviet union fell so mm -hmm. don't don't really remember the last time there was a coup in russia all that well but uh i part of me feels like the bleeding has started and it's not going to stop it's not going to be a sharp dividing line but now that you've breached that idea that you can challenge the authorities and 
not just survive, but potentially get what you want. I think that raises the stakes for the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. Right. It's, uh, it's kind of yeah. the, the cycle that happened with Rome, too. It was a stable republic until Sulla showed everybody that if you really wanted to march an army and take over, you could. And then from that point on, it was just one after the other after the other after the other doing basically the same thing. Yeah, until, until the whole system fell apart and uh, bigger strongmen took over. Yeah. 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 The the one thing that I think possibly tempers that a little bit is that the person who is in a standing most likely to be able to do the same thing, which is Katarov, uh his his troops were a joke. They they have been a joke for like two years now. They're uh People call it a TikTok army. They get stuck in traffic so they can't show up to actually fight. They were four hours late to Rostov, but then they took pictures on the bridge at, at sundown. And this isn't going unnoticed. It was one thing when they were, quote-unquote, stuck in traffic for the the assault from eastern Ukraine. It, this is another thing where they seem to specifically wait it out. He cultivated this image of terminator type soldiers you know the best of the best who would come in cut their teeth in urban warfare and the Chechen wars and they haven't done anything right. and people have noticed a lot of people have noticed a lot of russians have noticed not just people in the west so i mean he's the one guy who has a legitimate base of support and a real army that follows him personally and I don't really see them being able to do the same thing as, as Wagner did. Yeah, yeah. The thing I wonder about is people who have, uh, you know, lingering separatist movements, people in Georgia. If I were anyone in, the, in Russia or in the ex-Soviet Union who thought, I've been waiting for a time that I can rattle Russia's cage, now would be that time. Georgia is looking to get South Ossetia back, right? That's that's yeah, their South fight. Ossetia, or, yeah. Okay. What they had taken off of them. And then Armenia and Azerbaijan are fighting a war with each other, but it's it's really just a war that Russia has always intended them to fight and has manipulated things to make them fight. So I don't I don't see much happening there. They're too angry at each other to fight the real puppet master there. And then Moldova has Transnistria that's backed by Russia. Not sure how much they'd take advantage of it because that's it's basically boiled down to a stalemate over the last 30 years. What sort of conflicts are you envisioning, uh, Chris? Well, there was a layer of kind of separatist movements that you know, saw what happened in Chechnya and kind of never took off, but I wonder if there's still some sentiment out there for them, and if if people start to be less afraid of the Russian army and of Putin's regime, who else may come out of the woodwork? If they weren't being so friendly, both China and North Korea have some long dormant at this point territorial disputes with russia going back you know 150 years but they're they're pretty bought in on russia right now so i don't see them pressing it but 
it would be potentially a uh, an interesting development if Kim Jong Un started seeing that he could actually potentially take something from somebody. Like fight an actual war that. Yeah, that he <laughs> stands some chance. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move it on over to the domestic stuff because we have a, a few things to cover there, and we're already twenty minutes into this. Uh, the special counsel in the Trump classified documents uh, case has asked for a delay until December, I believe it is, um, in order to get everything in place they need to share classified documents with uh, with the defense team and all the, the infrastructure they need for that and all that. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of talk that this isn't actually a delay, that it was going to take this long to begin with. Is that yeah. accurate? Like, an August trial date was not realistic for this case. I mean, South Florida moved very quickly as far as their trials go. But, yeah, I, I think I was saying on the page that this a case like this has some very, very complicated discovery. The uh, evidence is, to a great extent, top secret documents, highly classified documents, the defense is entitled to get copies of it and is all eventually going to have to go before a jury. Uh, there's going to be a lot of very complex jury instructions for all that as well in order to make sure that you know the evidence itself is protected uh, and all of that is going to require some pretty extensive and complicated briefing as well. So the I think even getting it before trial in December is probably going to be pretty optimistic. But, uh, yeah. So having it delayed from August to December does not surprise me at all. I have a bit of a question to that. What if the defendant's chosen attorney can't get a clearance? They Do they get kicked yeah, off the case? I would think so. I mean, I, that's, uh, that's really... Now, if the court decides not to allow you to have the attorney of your choice, is that a potential appeal route then? I mean, I think they're going to have to find some way to get them clearance, but yeah, I mean. <laughs> okay, let me take this to another another level of the thought experiment. Let's say it's not about Trump, <laughs> who has already had access to classified documents. Let's say it's random dude who through some circumstances, is charged with, with classified documents, and they want to go pro se. They're like a three-time felon, drug addict, whatever. Would you be able to decline the request that they go pro se? I know you're not really supposed to do that, even if you require them to have like a standby counsel or whatnot just seems like a weird intersection of rights to be able to be confronted with the evidence against you, but the government has to approve the person that is handling that defense. It, it's always struck me as an interesting question. Yeah. I mean, they're going to, in that case, I mean, the defendant is always going to be able to review the documents and have discovery and things like that. Um, there's going to be, statutory limitation protecting the evidence still to make sure that you know the way that they handle it 
is going to protect it. Like I, they're probably going to have limitations on where they can keep it and things like that because it is still classified. Um, but they're still going to be able to access it and still review it because they are, you know, they're going to have, you know, of course, you know, confrontation rights and discovery rights and all of the above. So, yeah, in those cases, you know, they do have they do have access to it ultimately as defendants, but you know, there's they're not going to be able to you know say take it home and. <laughs> make photocopies of it and do all those sorts of things with it that got them into trouble in the first place. As an actual lawyer, this is also an interesting question for me to ask you, Dan. With the expected charges in the Georgia case coming this summer, sure. another civil suit with uh, E. Jean Carroll uh, approaching this case, potentially others, does the sheer number of different cases that Trump is under get deference from the the courts in some ways he allotted extra time extra delays just because he's responding to like six different court cases in five different states or whatever yeah that is taken into consideration as well for scheduling and things like that so mm -hmm. that he, i think what was it I'm, I'm trying to remember the uh specific reference about uh the character with so many uh so many venereal diseases that they're they can't <laughs> they're all competing with each other and they can't all you know yeah they're all canceling each other out it could kind of be like that they can all go after they can only go after him one at a time yeah it's a little bit like that for trump yes that is that is there is a bit of an effect like that for him yeah so and i'm sure some of them are going to take play strategy yeah I, I think the feds will probably have precedence on this a little bit um so I think this is the one that will probably end up going first. Okay. Uh, and then... Do you make... Uh, sorry, go on. I was just wondering what anyone makes of the fact that... So, like you were pointing out, this delay is exactly what you would have expected, but you would have actually expected this, I think, from the defense team first. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the way it's worded, it's actually the prosecution doing it on behalf of the defense. Yeah. Well, they're, yeah, basically, I'm sure Trump's legal defense team has it together enough to do it. I don't think he has a legal defense team at the moment. Yeah. Didn't his lawyers quit? His two main lawyers quit just before, yeah. Yeah, he may have some. He, I think he's been interviewing attorneys at various stages and hiring new ones and staffing back up again. But yeah, his team has definitely been in flux. Wouldn't it be but, great if you hired Michael Cohen again? Oh my god. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Cohen is totally unqualified for a case like this. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so I guess he has uh, retained Todd Blanche, who is representing him uh, in the, the hush money case with Stormy Daniels on appeal. Oh, okay. I mean, so at least it's a lawyer who knows Trump. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, very different case and probably not a 
not be particularly qualified for this kind of case. So, Honestly, who is qualified for this type of case? This is I mean, you'd, unprecedented. You'd need like an ex-federal prosecutor with yeah. you know, lots of experience in you know classified information, but yeah. Oh, I'm sure Trump would just love those headlines. He hires the guy who prosecuted the dude who gave secrets to the Russians for diamonds, whatever his name was. He died just recently. Yeah. <laughs> Ames or whatever. Yeah, oh, exactly. Those are <laughs> Yeah. Those are the kinds of people who have parallel cases somewhat. So Yeah. Pull um, somebody out of retirement who worked on the Cambridge Five case back in the sixties. Yeah. There are also some, uh, you know, somewhat related cases of defense involving what I assume must have been classified information for um, terrorists. So maybe you could get some of those lawyers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pull somebody off the Guantanamo bar. That would be great. <laughs> All right, Chris, we've got uh, two new entries into the Republican race for the presidential nominee, taking us uh, to 10, I believe. Who are they? 12, actually. 12? Yeah, Holy shit, yeah, I was behind. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> we were already at 10. So nuts. So who do we have um, jumping so... in? So we have Will Hurd, who is a former representative from Texas, which is not your your usual kind of resume for becoming a presidential candidate. But, you know, um, he is a Republican and is kind of in the moderate, to the extent there is a moderate wing of the party at this point, in the moderate wing of the party and definitely very much in the Trump critical wing of the party. So it's, uh, I mean, in, in another year, in another constellation of uh, candidates, he might actually be a pretty interesting candidate. But I don't know what the heck he thinks he's doing in the middle of this mess. Yeah, I mean, just signing up to get steamrolled by Trump. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh... I'm I'm kind of seeing a a vague similarity to LBJ, uh, you know, Texas state rep, then Texas senator, moderate wing of the party. I don't know. Maybe you could be trying to channel that energy. I don't think it's the time or the place for that, but it has been done before. Yeah, yeah, but I think the difference is that that Johnson could win with that in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody can win with being Trump critical in Texas. <laughs> so we got heard, and who was the other one? Uh, well, the other one, he hasn't declared yet. He's just making some serious noise. Dipping his toes in the water? Rick Scott, <laughs> right? Rick Scott, yeah. Yeah. In Florida. Good old bat boy. <laughs> and he even said, like, early on to be to yeah. be contemplating it. But, you know, it kind of part of me doesn't think he's going to get anywhere close to the presidential office with a Medicare fraud charge on his record. But on the other hand, I mean, Trump's getting in with far worse than that. So yeah. who the fuck knows? 
<laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's a little weird because he would be the actually fourth candidate from Florida in the race if he entered. And he can't be trying for a vice presidential slot. And he can't be trying for a vice presidential slot. And for either Trump or DeSantis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he already is like, you know, tried for a leadership role in the Senate and been shot down for that. Because and nobody likes out. him. Literally nobody, nobody likes, likes him. him. Yeah. Even his own party doesn't like him. He's, yeah. Yeah. Like a mini Ted Cruz. Nobody likes him, and he's specifically gone after Social Security, which is never a good idea politically. Especially in a state with as many retirees as Florida. I will never understand how that works, but they all sit there and cheer that shit on for some reason because they think it'll be everybody else's benefits that get cut. Yeah. It's someone after them. <sighs> yeah, I don't know what uh, I don't know what he thinks he's doing in the race either. I guess to the extent that there is a some vote in Florida for somebody who isn't Trump or DeSantis. Well, good to know to it'll be split four ways now. Yeah, it'll be split further split. Great. Get Rubio in there too again. Why not? Man. Is Rubio still a senator? Yes, he's got to be yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. He's, I haven't uh, heard a peep from him in like four fucking years. Yeah, he got reelected last. In 2022, I want to say yes, yes, he yeah. ran for re-election in 2022. He was going to retire in 2016, and then he did another two more terms. So, yeah, I feel yeah. like I have not seen him on the news whatsoever, <laughs> and He's like literally at all, hiding from Chris Christie. I guess this is a decent time to talk about the Democratic primary and the fact that. Biden is probably going to lose the first few states. Have you guys been following that? Wait, what? Well, yeah. Biden's, Biden's not going to run in the first two states. The, uh, the DNC has set down their calendar, and then it looks like uh, Iowa and New Hampshire are going to fuck everything up and go on a, unapproved dates before the states that are supposed to go. And uh, the Biden campaign has announced if they do, they will not be on the ballot in those states that they're going to stand with the DNC. So fairly good chance that RFK Jr. wins the first two states on the Democratic side whose delegates may or may not count. They won't be seated. I mean, yeah, but the last time that everybody threatened this, they did end up being seated, just weighted down. And this was uh, Michigan in 2008. Yeah, but those, the they were Hillary Clinton delegates. They weren't RFK delegates. <laughs> that's, that's a big difference. <laughs> They're crazy people. You really don't want that news cycle of losing the first two states, but somehow I, I feel like the principle of it might be worth it. But it is going to lead to a lot of really embarrassing headlines, especially in right-wing media. Yeah. I mean, I would point out that this is the guy who finished third or fourth in both of those states before and ended yeah. up becoming president. So. Yeah, he's, yeah. I think he's in the air. I'll remember the days when Mayor Pete was winning states. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, he'll be back. Yeah. Well, oh. just one state, but... Yeah. yeah. 
All right. Let's uh let's bounce to the Supreme Court, which yeah, has I mean, upheld the final final standing peg of the Voting Rights Act. They tore everything down except for the majority minority districts. They have uh, sided with voting rights advocates against first it was Alabama, I believe, um, and then just yesterday they did basically the same thing with Louisiana. Louisiana, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, they had been cracking minority representative districts, um, splitting them up as much as they could in order to dilute the the power of black voters. They Their defense to this was the number of minority voters is a rounding error away from being two seats. So one seat is totally fine. They can draw just one seat and still technically be within the letter of the law. And also the law is racist and you shouldn't be allowed to judge based on on race um scotus threw this out on both counts they they did did have a little bit of hesitancy with the fact that using race as a criteria here but they did ultimately decide to uphold it and they affirmed a lower court district that uh they have never set any sort of maximum or minimum number on this and that it just has to be the number that you can draw so rounding up works as well as rounding down, and therefore the maps are invalid because they intentionally, you know, minimize this impact. Everybody seems surprised about this. I, almost every single news outlet put shocking, surprising, uh, some variation of that phrase in their headlines. Uh, it seemed like we were all expecting this to fall as well, right? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, I think it was... Uh back when this was being first taken up on the shadow docket back in 2022. Uh, Kavanaugh had left uh, both Alabama and Louisiana go forward with these crappy maps last year. And uh, Yeah, I think the expectation was that this was going to be a bad decision. And that this was just going to be another instance of the hack Supreme Court doing its thing. Uh, Roberts, in particular, has had a hard off with dismantling uh, the Voting Rights Act piece by piece. Uh, Shelby County was the big decision 10 years ago, and this would be the next one. So, yeah, this was a really nice, really nice surprise that uh, they did not decide to do that not sure if there's much explanation for why they held back but uh, yeah it was what this was six you know seven two did they get yeah uh, yeah everybody but uh, alito and thomas i think on this mm-hmm. I, at least in large part there was a concurring opinion that differed on some of the details but in effect yeah seven two to allow enforcement yeah, yeah. wild uh, we're seeing the the consequences of this already. Like we said, Louisiana will have to draw new maps, uh, and other states are probably likely to challenge under this now, which, I mean, on its own, this could cost Republicans the majority in the House. Their margins are that razor thin. Right, and they were going to have some trouble anyway because I think there was a possibility, I believe, of New York taking another crack at it. Uh, yeah, so... They were going to have to, 
I, I think they were going to be shoring things up in North Carolina and Florida. But, uh, yeah, they were looking at trouble anyway, even if they weren't going to be possibly having a bad year uh, with Trump at the top of the ticket. So, yeah, this is this is good news. <laughs> Just off the top of your head, are there any any states that should be especially worried about this? Um, I think South Carolina is another one where they did some racial fuckery. So, uh, yeah, um, I'm not sure there's too many others. But, yeah, particularly yeah, Alabama, Louisiana, and I want to say South Carolina is another one where there may be another uh, potential uh, you know, majority-minority district that could be drawn that has not been. All right. Well, we're about 40 minutes into it. I, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, the Oregon legislative session is coming to a close, so next week we'll have quite a bit of discussion about that. Uh, a lot of bills are being passed, worked on. Uh, one of them's hanging up the end of the session. Also, what the hell is going to happen to the Republicans who ran away? Um, we also changed a bunch of bills for the worst to get them back, so that was a... Nothing burger from the beginning. I, I hope those guys aren't allowed to run again. I, I so It'd be hope. Nice to have some consequences, actually, yeah. since you actually had the law changed to do that. Yeah. Uh, and also, the legislature seems to be getting pretty serious about lowering the quorum requirements to a simple majority. Uh, so nice. you might expect to see that on the, the ballot next year. Might be... Uh, well, it's something that the new Democratic leadership in the House is actively discussing with its members. Uh, we have a new leadership team because the old leadership team was elected to the governor's office. Oh. Kina Kotek was our leader of the House Democratic Party. Now she's you know, in the governor's mansion. She had decided not to do anything while she was there. It seems like the new guys are uh, not quite so squeamish about that. Cool. So yeah, we'll do a full dive on that next week, and I assume everything's done in Washington already, right? You guys usually yeah, finish before yeah. us. Uh, our session wrapped up in late April. Okay. Um, not a lot of big surprises there, so they tend to get pretty low-key this year. So, yeah. uh, by next week, we should have a full lid on the Supreme Court as well, including a number of Big, big cases they're saving for apparently the last couple days, including whether or not affirmative action is going to be a thing. Yeah, that that might have been what they were playing at with voting rights things. <laughs> if they're going to rip apart affirmative action, they'll throw a bone on voting rights act. So, who knows? Yeah, and we're all our student loans too. I was just going to say, just to run down a list, we're going to see affirmative action. We're going to see what's going to happen to the student loans. Uh, there's a gay rights clash coming up with uh, whether or not wedding website designers need to serve as same-sex couples. Uh, knowing what we know about cake baking, I can't imagine that being a good time, but we'll see. I am cautiously optimistic on student loans, but uh, I feel like affirmative action is doomed. <laughs> yep. We'll see. 
we're also going to see a big religious right case, religious rights case, uh, and whether or not the post office is allowed to not hire a mail carrier who refuses to work Sundays. Um, has the added wrinkle that they're not actually delivering U.S. mail during those days. They're delivering Amazon packages during Sundays. Uh, the court's going to decide whether or not the bare minimum standard for religious accommodations that they've used for the last 40 years or so is enough, or if they have to, uh, or if religious workers get extra protections. Uh, and then there's also going to be a case about the independent state legislature theory. All that's coming in the next, oh, like, yes. two I decision days. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. So the Supreme Court could actually dissolve the union. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow. Well, that's quite a week. All right. So, uh, yeah, tune in next week, and uh, I'll see you guys then. All right. Have a good one. Right.